Let's welcome in the editor of the uh, sports section of The Nation, my favorite sports writer, Dave. Good evening. Welcome to the show. And I'm about to drop an F-bomb because I'm on the phone with you instead of watching the last 26 seconds of Memphis OKC. Yeah, you know, Jay. 107, OKC 105. We got it right here, Dave. To go. Yeah, we got it. We got it in the studio as well. We're surrounded by that. We're surrounded by hockey. It's uh, it's an overwhelming time of year, isn't it? And you can you can multitask, Dave. You can watch this game oh, and talk to us. Come I'm on. All over this. Come on. I'm all over this. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm so excited to watch uh, Russell Westbrook shoot a 25 foot brick. With two <laughs> seconds left on the shot clock, while Kevin Durant looks at him plaintively. It's one thing to do this. I mean, neither of these teams are your team, and if anything, you you must. I mean, you're you're still as anti Oklahoma as you used to be, right? Oh, you know, no, I'm I'm all about Memphis. I love Memphis for okay. a couple of reasons. Uh, one is how do you not love Zach Randolph? I mean, I seriously want Zach Randolph to play James Bond in the next Bond series. <laughs> how good would he be? He'd be amazing. He's the coolest dude in any room he's in. He'd be the perfect James Bond. We got to expand our minds a little bit on that. And the second thing is, yeah. Oklahoma City, I mean, just looking at them, looking at Kevin Durant, remembering him in the Sonics uniform, thinking about all of my people in Seattle, I mean, it makes me physically nauseous. And you, of all people, Mr. Kaufman, is a lover of the Montreal Expos and everything they stood for. I, I hope as well your stomach turns when you see the Oklahoma City Thunder. Totally. Uh, I can't do it. I cannot. Uh, and, and, and it's knowing, like you said, with Durant and how, how he played there that they got to see the potential and know what was going to be down the road and all they knew what they were pissing away and, and it yeah, wasn't their fault a rookie. that's it and it's just no that's a terrible feeling and i'll be honest with you dave it's it's 10 years on now and i finally don't hate watching the nationals but it's taken a long oh, time man. it's no, taken a very long that. time i mean and you know the the, the parallels are really some frankly the expos parallel with the sonics has so much more currency to me than what a lot of people are tweeting me, which is, why aren't you saying anything about the Vancouver Grizzlies going to Memphis? Why isn't that just as bad? And <clears throat> excuse me. And it's, it's almost like you don't want to dignify that with a response. But with all due respect, I mean, the Grand Vancouver Grizzlies were there for a cup of coffee, for goodness sake. Right. No, that doesn't Sonics count. They were there for 40 years. And uh, just the same way the Montreal Expos had all that amazing history. And, of course, the most devious similarity between the Montreal Expos and the Seattle Sonics was the way that you had ownership groups that gutted the franchise um, to turn off the fan base so they could make the team leave basically in the dead of night. Yeah, and, and I mean, at least there's hope that the team's going to come back to Seattle. And, and frankly, for the first time in a very long time, there's that hope in Montreal. Which is very understandable. I mean, seriously, because I mean, when you talk about uh, like some of the ways in which Expos fever still exists in Montreal, well, I mean, I, that's I'm, real. But but you you know when when we started speaking on the radio, I don't know, I guess two years ago or so, I never would have dreamed that it'd be at the point it was now. Yeah. No. What do you? I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm interviewing you now. But I know. What do you attribute that. To? <laughs> well, uh, a lot of it What's was the, the shift. The, the shift was the death of Gary Carter. It was really? all of these guys who were uh, 55 years old, or f no, maybe 45 years old, who stopped caring about the Expos after 94. And then suddenly they were that 12-year-old kid again who grew up loving Gary Carter. It was this total, mm. total difference. And and then it was him dying, and then suddenly everywhere you looked in this town, you saw an Expos cap. Uh, Jay's brother, Anakin Slade, wrote this amazing Expos tribute. 
Uh, the one to Carter too, but there there was one when Dawson went into the Hall of Fame that that really resonated as well. AJ? Everything just all started to come together all at the same time. At around 2010, 2011, there was kind of this resurgence of interest in baseball in Montreal. I think people have had enough of waiting around and watching the Washington Nationals, and just it was just a series of events that made it come all together, culminating... A domino. Yeah, a domino and culminating a few weeks ago into those two preseason games with the Blue Jays taking on the Mets at the Olympic Stadium and drawing 96,000 people. Did you see visuals of that, Dave? I mean, I did, I did. And hey, forgive me for asking this, but... Did Gary Carter, did he go into the Hall of Fame as an expo or he as did. a Met? What he did. did. He, end up doing? he went in as an expo. So did Dawson. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, if, I knew Dawson did. I don't know if either wanted to go in as an expo, but uh, too damn bad. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Don't they get the choice? Uh, I don't Not think anymore. So. Not anymore. Not said Wade, Wade Boggs screwed that, that up. Wade Boggs. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Everybody. <laughs> saying he was going to go in as a devil ray. Right. <laughs> Which isn't even a team name anymore. That's amazing, <laughs> uh, Dave. You know, I mean, as... if you think about the things that Wade Boggs messed up for baseball. I mean, so many different things. I mean, the, the Red Sox, he messed them up. Um, the, the, the idea of having uh, like mistresses on the road. Right, Margo. I mean, Wade Boggs totally killed that. You remember Margo Adams? That rings bells. Yep. Google if they want to, and then of course this. Me destroyed it. Margot Adams was long before I should have known what Penthouse was, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Making riding on a horse with a police officer very uncool. Very uncool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and then there's the, the what was the the uh, the record uh, beers chugged in the uh, cross country flight. That's another Wade Boggs uh, gem. Yeah, and he would do the the Jewish symbol high for life. What? Before he would take, do you know that? Like he would make that mark with his bat before he would step into the batter's box. Wow! And so, I mean, he, I mean, he, he single-handedly made made Judaism uncool. <laughs> <laughs> it was just flying before Wade Boggs came along, yeah, too. Before him, it was like, I mean, if you think about it, though, before Wade Boggs, you know, Arthur Fonzarelli, Henry Winkler. Jewish, you know what I'm saying? True. On solo, Jewish, and then you got Wade Boggs doing the high, and everyone's like, "Oh, they." Yeah, before that, I mean, and before that, Koufax, right? So things were looking Andy up. But... Oh, but but at least Koufax was Jewish. I mean, Wade Boggs. I mean, my God, I mean, he probably thinks that the you know ham sandwich is kosher. Probably, it's, it's, it's not good. Stop it! I'll break out the big Jewish book of humor in a second. We should just move on. Deal. And, and honestly, I don't know how to transition right now, but I, I did want to have you on tonight. Uh, loved your piece today on Pat Tillman, and uh, I can't believe that it's the ten year anniversary already of Pat Tillman's death. And, and like, I mean, you, and like you argued in in the piece, people are going to be talking about the Boston Marathon and using that as the narrative for for good triumphing over evil, and they're going to try and use Tillman, but uh, we can't let them, right? No, you, you can't let, let, let that happen at all, because there is no good triumphing over evil. There's evil triumphing over good in the Pat Tillman story. It's the evil of a family, the Tillman family, uh, not being told the truth about what happened around the, their son, their husband, their brother, and as well, it's about the rest of us not being told the truth. Because, I mean, when you're a U.S. soldier and you're killed in action, I mean, you want to have accountability for what took place, uh, not just because it's the right thing for the Tillman family, but because this is something that's potentially a threat to all of us. I mean, you don't want a government that feels like it can cover up um, a, a death 
Uh, you don't want a government, like as Pat Tillman's father said, that can, quote, falsify a homicide report, end quote, because hmm. um, that is what took place. And to this day, we still don't know the answers. to This isn't about me doing crazy conspiracy theories about why was Tillman shot, what happened. It's about the family themselves um, and us here in the United States, like not having the answers to some very basic questions about incidents surrounding the case, not the least of which is why was the family and the American public, why were they lied to for days around around the circumstances of his death? Well, we know the answer to that. It was because there was a war going on and uh, flags needed to fly proud and, and they needed to be able to rationalize why this guy gave up being an NFL hero for a, a senseless death and a senseless loss. Exactly. And if that is the case, though, but what you just said, which to me is common sense and would be common sense to anybody who's ever read a history book or knows anything about how governments operate, that is not the official statement of the United States government. There were congressional oversight hearings about this in 2007, and their conclusion was, well, we don't really know anything because no one can remember anything. Now, I linked to their own report on it today. And to me, and you know what that oversight committee did in 2007 after just coming to the conclusion of, oh, gee, shucks, we'll just never know what happened to Pat Tillman? They went on to talking about steroids in baseball. That was the next mountain that they climbed. Wow. And given the fact that that was kind of like a George W. I don't think George W. Bush is smart enough to have this be some sort of master Machiavellian plan. But there is something about that, about the ways in which that, that whole steroid thing in the mid-2000s, yeah, that whole steroid thing. It's an understatement, but like the way Bush <laughs> mentioned it in the State of the Union address and the way it became this kind of weapon of mass distraction in 2007. And this is a, a key example of that. You have the Oversight Committee say, what happened to Pat Tillman? Shoot, nobody knows anything. Okay, well, let's see what steroids and baseball is going on. Wow. That, no, that's, uh, that's really fascinating, using sports kind of as a wag the dog. Because, oh, sure. you know, the I war mean, wasn't working. And whether consciously or not, and this is part of the problem, is like, even what we talked about before, about this being just a cover-up, because, you know, Pat Tillman, you say he died for public relations for a flagging war effort, and then you, you cover up when the word of the friendly fire leaks out and all the rest of it. Even getting beyond that, I mean, you've no one has been held accountable for that. You know, no one has served a day of jail time. No one's had to even swear under oath about what they did and why they did it. And so that's why I wrote this. That's why I think we need to remember. That's why we still need to stand with the Tillman family. And and what is the Tillman family trying to do still to, to make this known and get this out there? Well, I mean, it's it's different things. Different people in the family are, are different, diff, different, responding in different ways. I've spoken to a lot of members of the Tillman family. I, I don't want to uh, represent every um, individual in it and what they're doing and how they're dealing. But the basic, basic question is that this anniversary is obviously bringing up a lot of emotions and a lot of memories. Um, there's going to be a one-hour ESPN special on this tomorrow. Um, you are not going to see Pat's mother on that, for example, even though she was asked to be on it, because it's just it's just too difficult at this point because they're just not getting the answers that they want. Uh, they're not getting uh, real answers under oath about the chain of command and why decisions were made the way it was. Such a such a terrible story. It's uh, uh, you know, and and, and I I rewatched the uh, the documentary today, 
the the Tillman Project, I think it's called the Tillman Fantastic. Story. Yeah, the Tillman Story. Yeah, just an incredible documentary, and and it just again, I can't believe it's been ten years. And I think back to the it was his younger brother, right, drinking the beer on the stage with all the dignitaries. Yeah, that was a, a very poignant moment, and, uh, and and unfortunately not the watershed moment in American history that we were hoping for. No, and it's interesting, like that moment where his brother got on stage. I mean, he, he did that because his brother was an atheist. And there was all, and a lot of members of the family are atheists as well. And there were a lot of people speaking at the nationally televised funeral about how Pat was with God and Pat was in heaven. And if anything, his brother with, with the beer in his hand, I mean, was it, it was like a harbing, harbing, harbinger. Because we were later, we later found out that that wasn't the only thing that, you know, like a face, a fake image of Pat being put forward. It's like his mom, Mary, said, he said, it's like Pat died twice. I, I can't imagine what that family's going through. And, uh, you know, there was a line that, that about how he doesn't, the family didn't need to hear him be called a hero after the fact that he was a hero before he went, that how he died, there was nothing heroic in how he died. It was just senseless and, and stupid. No. Yeah, absolutely, and the questions still linger around it. I mean, and once again, it's like on the face of it, there's so many weird question marks surrounding it. Like Pat Tillman, he was telling anybody, this is very verified, that he was telling anybody and everybody that he believed that the war in Iraq was illegal. Um, It's also a fact that he's much bigger, much taller, much wider than your typical Army Ranger. These guys are typically 5'7", 5'8". They're like whippets, these guys. And he was somehow mistaken for a member of the Taliban and shot and killed. I mean, I don't doubt that that could happen. I mean, it's the fog of war. It's a horrific kind of situation to be in. But at the same time, the ways in which the wheels went in motion after he died, that's what nobody's had to answer for. Like, why was his journal burned immediately? Why was his why was his uniform and effects burned immediately? Why was his brother not told? Why were soldiers told? And they've said this to CNN. Soldiers in that in that uh, in that platoon were told not to tell the truth. Why is that? The the burned you know, his uniform they, part really makes really sits uneasy with me. You don't yeah. you don't hear about that. Like that doesn't that's no. not something you hear. The the guy's effects and, and uniform were burned. You know, what I'm about to say is kind of grim, and I do, I do apologize for saying this, but, you know, the typical protocol when somebody dies, is killed in action, is they actually have, when, and they're way out in there in that heavy heat, is they, they load them in freezers uh, with their uniforms on to take them back to base. That's a typical protocol. And particularly if someone dies under circumstances which demand investigation, which everybody knew. And I, I've talked to people who were in his battalion. They all knew that something really, really wrong happened because there's no enemy. And there are people who are dead. So it's like, whoa, this needs to be investigated. Everybody got that, too. Uh, yet, what happened? Uh, the effects were burned. His journal was burned. And, you know, he, he, was not, he, he just wasn't given anything resembling the proper respect he deserved. We're uh, finishing up with Dave Zirin, the editor of the uh, sports section of The Nation and uh, the Mr. Edge of Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Edge of Sports. Dave, we're uh, six weeks away from your new book, uh, Dance with the Devil, coming out. Oh, yeah, Brazil's Dance with the Devil. Uh, it's uh, the World Cup, the Olympics, and the, uh, and the fight for democracy. It's, if anybody out there is interested or thinking about uh, Brazil and the World Cup, obviously there's been a ton in the news 
recently about some of the military occupations of the poor neighborhoods called favelas uh, that surround many of Brazil's cities. And uh, another uh, aspect of it, too, is news just came out today that Brazil has brought in Blackwater, uh, the private uh, military subcontractor to help with security on the ground. Um, If you're not familiar with Blackwater's work, um, you can Google them, but just don't hit the image link. (laughs) Because <laughs> a lot will come up. You're absolutely your right. Stomach. Yeah, not safe yeah, for lot, work. Oh, no, no, not safe for work. A lot of shootings, a lot of killings in Iraq, infamous organization. And they were on the ground, not just in Iraq, but in New Orleans after Katrina. And they'll be on the ground in, in Brazil. Wow. For the perfect trifecta. Uh, Dave, I'm about halfway through the book. It's uh, fantastic so far. Oh, thank you. And uh, once I finish it, we'll uh, we'll have a full, proper discussion about it. No, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm glad you're digging it. Well, of course. Thanks so much for sending the advanced copy. I uh, uh, That's a cool thing to get in the mail. Yeah, well, maybe next time you could pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> I paid for the last one. Wait, you want me to wait till June? I'll, you know what, Dave? I'll, I'll go get yeah. another copy in June, okay? And then I'll send it to you and you can sign it for me. My son, actually, he's five years old. He said, Daddy, why didn't Kaufman pay for the book as he held his tiny, shrunken stomach? In oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Why, do you take him, why do you take him to a Washington Nationals game and buy him a hot dog <laughs> on my behalf, okay? Is, is, is that why this is happening? Yeah, well, expose? Is that why you didn't buy the book? And now we're full circle. Dave Zirin, thank you so much <laughs> for your time, man. You always bring it back. You got to bring it back, man. Damn straight. You got to bring it back. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. All right, fellas. Have a great night. There he goes. It's Dave Zirin. Follow him at Edge of Sports. Really is the uh, the best out there.